America America You are so grand and golden Oh, I wish I was deep in America tonight Hello, America, and thanks for tuning in for another deep dive into The Multiverse. I'm your host, Katie Wilson, and as usual, I'm joined today by... Um... Um... Shanti, Shanti... Oh my god, Kate, what are you doing now? Um... I'm meditating... I love how you love to really go there and embody our topics, Kate. Mm, shanti, shanti, I have to walk the path of the episode in order to truly speak the words mm, of uh-huh. the episode. Uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, I'm coming up with some great ideas right now for our episode. This is really shifting my gaze inward in order to truly see outward into our nation's parallel reality. Uh-huh. Well, you know, it's funny. This, we're actually doing the episode right now. Shantia. Time is an illusion, Katie. You should know that by now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, but I'm not sure anyone cares. And so I'm just going to let you do your thing. We are one with our listeners. Shanti, Shanti. Are you done yet? Just one moment. Um, Dudette, I think we agreed there was no smoking on the air. Ah. <sighs> Okay. Ah, that's better. Mm. My energy feels very centered again. I'm so happy to hear that. Are we, are we ready now <laughs> to get into today's topics? Clarity, insight. The world is an interconnected set of illusions, and I am not separate from any of it. You are definitely separate from me right now, and I'm not sure if you're serious or if you're making fun of something. Ah, au contraire, mon frere. I'm merely setting the scene for what is definitely my favorite episode this season. And using your very particular theatrics as usual. But of course, and in fact, this episode is kind of about that. At least in part. I love to joke that I don't get writer's block anymore because I just get cannabis. That's right. All you artists and spiritual beings of the multiverse. Today we're going to be looking at marijuana's relationship to two intertwinkling realities, a term I learned from one of our guests today, that are both near and dear to my heart. The realm of creativity. And you might not have guessed it, but spirituality. 
when I would sit and meditate with cannabis, I would have these incredible insights that just weren't coming to me any other way. And I think that's a common experience with cannabis, that it can stimulate this um, new perspective and expanded creative awareness. You know, the plants start talking to you. I mean, it's not, okay, I had this experience of the presence, the sentience of plant life. So, okay. Let's talk about this idea that weed has been used to inspire and sometimes derail humanity's greatest creators and innovators since basically cave people figured out how to roll a doobie. Well, for starters, I think that there's this pervasive idea in today's mainstream culture that marijuana's psychoactive effects tend to dumb down our thinking and lead to a lack of motivation. You know, what lots of people refer to as high thoughts. (laughs) Meeting thoughts that were great while you were high, but in the sober light of day, not so much. Bruh, when you think about it, there are more nipples in the world than there are people. If you're waiting for the waiter, aren't you the waiter? Bruh, how do you throw away a garbage can? The stereotype is certainly there for a reason, and I'd even wager to say that a majority of high thoughts aren't exactly strokes of genius. But neither are a majority of non-high thoughts, now that you mention it. (laughs) True. That said, what creator, whether they're an artist of some kind or even a scientist or someone in the tech field, doesn't move through the world secretly, sometimes even desperately hoping that that one huge, amazing, never thought of before grand idea will land upon their consciousness. Right. The stroke of lightning. And you're positing that weed may be just the thing that guides the genius idea to sort of land in the person's head. You know, as if ideas were kind of floating around out there and weed is somehow the express train or the the grounding rod that suddenly brings them into our little monkey brains. That's the theory anyway. And to be completely honest, right along with the rest of the cannabis industry's interest in pot's effect on the human body, there's not much scientific research to back any of this up. Yet, when you look at the path this plant has paved through our modern culture, inspiring the likes of astrophysicist Carl Sagan, tech giant Steve Jobs, and countless other artists and creative giants, the idea that it has the power to, well, open us up, so to speak, um, creatively is pretty compelling. Not to mention the long history that humans all over the world have with this plant, including a long list of cultural innovators like pyramid-building Egyptians, ancient Greeks, possibly even William Shakespeare. I, I heard he didn't inhale. Well, neither do I. Okay. But for now, all we have to go on are artifacts and personal stories. Anecdotal evidence that paints a large, colorful picture of the ways in which weed has affected the way people think. And in turn, the cultures we create. Which is exactly why we spoke to a few different creators and innovators about exactly that. The role marijuana plays in their creative process. Ira Glass talks about it. It's the creator's dilemma of whenever you want to start doing something creative, the tendency is to go, well, I, because I love this kind of writing or animation or stand-up, that I should be able to, should be able to make it. That's Jake Brown, former pot critic for the Denver Post and founder of The Grow Off who we heard from in episode three. And then you start doing it and it's bad. (laughs) And it's like objectively bad. (laughs) And so you have to like work through that. And you have to understand that, that failure is such an important part of that process. And that if everybody that started creating immediately was like the person that 
they wanted to emulate that everyone would just be creative. It would be, it would be too easy. And so whenever anyone talks about finding your voice, I always describe that's the process of knowing what you like artistically and your journey to become that because you will never end up on that X on a map and your process of failing and trying to get close will lead you close, maybe close to that X, maybe totally the opposite direction. But that's, that's what it is. That's what it's always been for me. I love to joke that I don't get writer's block anymore because I just get cannabis. <laughs> and so if you are ever having trouble just putting pen to paper or anything, there is no better substance, I think, than cannabis to just start turning on, firing a little bit differently, approaching something in a different way. I always uh, write high, edit sober, and really take an approach where you can free up parts of your brain that you just don't maybe access all the time, know, know what to consume. Mm -hmm. And, um, and sometimes you just have to like keep going too. And I'm just like, Oh, I'm going to get ridiculously stoned and push all the way through that until the experience that I've had is so singular. It's irrepressible. Interesting, the distinction he draws between writing and editing while high. There are definitely many activities that you're arguably better off doing sober, like surgery or higher math. But when we're talking about getting those first glimpses into new terrain, many creatives argue that marijuana can provide the necessary shifts in perception or turn off the parts of us that fear failure in order to open up new possibilities. Well, isn't that how Jake came up with his latest venture, The Grow Off? Apparently, he and his partner, Samantha, were super stoned one night and talking about their mutual love of competitive cooking shows when they thought, we should make the Iron Chef of weed. <laughs> I know. That sounds like one of those high thoughts I'd have at night and then find totally ridiculous the next morning. True, yes. But in this case, they actually went through with it. And now they have this hugely successful cultivation competition all over every year where growers who are feeling good about their skills can actually prove it. So maybe all high thoughts aren't as far-fetched as they seem. I agree. But using psychotropic substances, whether for recreation, as medicine, or for the altered perspective it can lend to a creative process, is still tricky territory. And in the words of iconoclastic American witticist and media personality Oscar Levant, there's a fine line between genius and insanity. You know, the only reason I'm appearing is there are no more beds in the mental institutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Oscar Levant was probably the farthest off the rails of anybody I've ever known who wasn't uh, institutionalized. So you're saying cannabis toys with that line. I'm saying it's complicated. And sometimes in order to find the nuggets of genius that cannabis might offer, we also have to take on the dark side of having our, well, minds expanded. All right, guys, we're really going to go there now. That's right. Just as high thoughts can sometimes lead to high-level creativity, our next guests seem to think that marijuana may also be able to help humans access their, well, higher selves. And the two may not be as dissimilar as we think. I think ultimately creativity really is channeling something greater than ourselves. It, real creativity isn't really mind. It's like flow state, right? 
That's Tara Rose, a speaker, author, teacher, and shamanic energy healer and intuitive working with cannabis and other sacred medicines. And she believes that marijuana's link to human creativity and spirituality are fundamentally the same. So ultimately, I think cannabis and its connection to creativity is the same thing as cannabis and its connection to spirituality. If you loosely define spirituality as the pursuit of connection to something greater than the small self. My passion really around cannabis is to release the stigma of it as of being some kind of a drug and help people understand that it's actually a sacred medicine that can bring us into states of expanded consciousness, self-awareness, and transformation. For everyone who may not resonate exactly with the language Tara is using around weed, aka a sacred medicine, Tara wasn't always on this path. She came across old MJ in much the same fashion most of us did. I started smoking cannabis when I was 16 years old after school. And at that point, I was very much an atheist. I didn't have any spiritual practice whatsoever. And for me, cannabis was more like a way to change my consciousness. It was a way to escape the stress of life. And I guess I just liked um, cannabis as a recreational tool really for a long time. Spirituality didn't enter into it uh, until probably my late 20s. And, and I started to find that when I would sit and meditate with cannabis, I would have these incredible insights that just weren't coming to me any other way. And I was learning things that were really, really profound. And I would have ideas that were just totally new to me. And I think that's a common experience with cannabis, that it can stimulate this um, new perspective and expanded creative awareness. For example, um, sitting with the plant has at times shown me my own psyche and the origin of different aspects of that psyche and where they came from in my family line, um, patterns of thought, things like that that were really helpful. It's shown me areas in my body or my um, my emotions where, you know, I kind of stored up old stuff, old feelings and things like that. So it's been a teacher of the inner landscape, but it's also given me these incredible thoughts and insights about the nature of reality and about the nature of our interconnectedness and how to use our power as creators of our reality, how to use our imagination and our attention and even our love for positive ends. That's what I think really the plants are all about and why I think we're seeing at this time a huge expanse and interest in the psychedelics mm. and just mind-altering plant medicines. Plant medicines? Is that the same thing as medical marijuana? Not quite. Here's how Tara describes it. Ultimately, I think you could say that cannabis helps expand our sense of self to include the interconnectivity which we share with each other and with nature and with all that is. Ultimately, we're all part of a greater whole. And I think that cannabis is one of the tools that helps us to access that remembrance of that connection. We tend to think of ourselves as very separate from the rest of creation, um, from each other and, and so forth. And that's because of our mind making judgments and comparisons and things of that nature. But at a fundamental energetic quantum level, there's not any separation at all. It's ultimately an illusion. And you could say that this is a level at which cannabis works. 
on a very, very fundamental level, we're all energy. And everything in reality is energy, including the plants. And the plants interact with us on on that level, just as everything does. And cannabis uniquely can unlock an awareness of that reality, of that true nature of reality, of that oneness piece. One of the ways I think it does that, this is my theory, is that it works on um, some of our, it works on expanding some of our energy centers in our body. So in the Eastern traditions, there's an understanding of the chakras, which is bundles of um, energy that are visualized as round that go up and down our body, right? Up and down our torso. The very top uh, above our head or at the top of our head is considered the crown chakra. And the crown chakra is considered our connection to source. And my experience is that cannabis seems to expand the energy center here. And what's good about that is that then we have that expanded sense of self. What's not helpful about that is that one who works with cannabis a lot can easily become the stereotypical ungrounded stoner who's very scattered and doesn't know what's going on and hardly lives in this reality. It's just, it's an, it is an interesting plant because it seems to have both um, sides to it and people use it for both to tune in and to tune out. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I don't demonize those who want to use it to tune out. I don't think that's wrong because what I know about medicines is that we seek them when we're in pain, you know? And so on some level, if we're trying to tune out, maybe we're really seeking a medicine and maybe that's, you know, underneath it, really not a bad thing. I've, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, you know, I'm really into health and spirituality and I'm conflicted about my relationship with weed because I feel like I shouldn't be smoking it, but I love it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just, it's again, it's just like, kind of understanding that we are attracted to the medicines for a good reason. You know, we may or may not have a high level of consciousness around it. I think that cannabis has a sort of like loving energy to it. And I think that's part of why people um, choose it when we want to unplug or go in a different direction and kind of have a more recreational experience. Laughter is medicine too, you know, smoking some weed and watching something funny. That's who's to say that's not (laughs) who's to say, right? Even though it's not really empirical in any way, this explanation of how marijuana can work on us energetically does kind of make some sense to me somehow. And like everyone else we talked to about the effect that pot had on their mind and spirit, Tara believes that there can be great spiritual and psychological benefits to using the plant. In fact, she uses cannabis in controlled, safe energy healing sessions with her clients, and the results can be pretty surprising. So I'll tell you a story that a lot of people have really loved and resonated with. Um, A man approached me, a friend of a friend, one day, and he's like, Tara, you think your plants can help me? I'm struggling with some some emotional stuff. And I said, sure. You know, what's going on? And he said that he had um, some conflicts in his life that didn't feel resolved, that he wanted to resolve. And he also had some chronic pain issues. And what happened in our session was I invited him just to chat a little bit about what was going on. And then I invited him to smoke cannabis with respect, which he did. 
And then I led him through a little bit of a mindfulness-based body scan meditation. And one of the most powerful awarenesses that he came to in that session was that as a man, he felt that there was shaming around crying. And so he had held all the sadness in his body. It was okay for him to be angry. It was okay for him to... Um, you know, feel pretty much any emotion except true sadness. And he wanted to cry, but he couldn't because of all of the conditioning in childhood. And so, um, you know, we just invited for divine assistance to help him. And he broke down and he finally wept and he wept a lot. And at the end of the session, his chronic pain was gone. It's gone. You know, so that's pretty profound. And that's the type of thing I see often um, for men that there's this wounding, really deep wounding around the shaming around having emotions and this idea that to, to cry is weak when really to feel is actually extremely courageous. It's not easy to feel pain, you know, and in order to cry, we have to feel pain. So to try and suppress it and escape it isn't strong. And that's unfortunate that that's the programming that men in our society have been given and other societies too. It's done tremendous damage. And so for some reason, I have found this theme is coming up a lot with the cannabis healing, where this is one of the core wounds that cannabis seems to be unlocking for, for many people, for men, is really the ability to cry and to open the heart and feel. So that was interesting. Sounds pretty good to me. But even the most healing of practices can have, shall we say, a shadow side? Personally, you know, I'm a huge advocate for cannabis, but I actually almost never ingest it. I find that this herb really is an amplifier. It's like a psychic amplifier. But I will say I've definitely had a number of very unpleasant experiences with cannabis. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so careful about when I use it now. And what I experienced was that, you know, if I'm in a state of any kind of anxiety or if I'm in a negative headspace and I bring cannabis into it, it's going to amplify that. And then you can have like just terrible negative thought spirals that go out of control or like panic, you know, things like that. I think there are physiological reasons why we may have anxiety with cannabis, but On another level, I think you may have anxiety with cannabis because it threatens our sense of self, the ego, on a very fundamental level. Ultimately, the self is an illusion. We know that. That's what our great teachers all tell us, and that's what we each can discover through our own spiritual practices, is that the self is really just a a conglomeration of stories we've created. It's just in the mind. And that ultimately, the foundation of reality isn't that we are separate, it's that we're all one. But how do you operate psychologically in that reality and also in this one where we are separate? So I think cannabis kind of causes maybe this awareness of, whoa, like I'm, I, I might die at some point or this concept of death that oneness kind of evokes too. Because mm-hmm. if you're not a separate self, then there's this like feeling of I might die and I'm threatened. My ego identity of who I am is threatened. The dissolving of the self into a continuum with other energetic beings sounds cool, and I totally believe it can happen. But what if you don't believe in all this stuff? Can plant medicine still work for you? Well, that's kind of what happened to our next and final guest here, Ken Jordan. He is the co-founder of The Alchemist Kitchen, which is an herbal dispensary in New York City, and a bastion of the plant medicine movement. But he wasn't always a dyed-in-the-wool believer. But at the same time, 
my parents were um, were deeply anti-religious uh, and real secular materialists, right? So my mom basically would not allow anybody to use the word God in the house. Really? Yeah, because if you said the word God, her immediate comeback, and I must have heard this a hundred times, was, do you know how many people have died because of that idea? Ken shared with us in this conversation that his family had fled the Holocaust. So they really saw religion as a kind of superstition that uh, supported uh, all kinds of terrible behavior. Their understanding of what it is to be um, a conscious person was, you know, you're compassionate, right? You are in service to others. But there was no ontological, spiritual overlay to that. So I didn't uh, have, um, I didn't have a clue what the word spiritual meant, frankly, growing up. I really felt that whatever you think of as consciousness is the creation of the material stuff between your, your ears, in your skull. That it's uh, an epiphenomena that occurs because of the material world. And that anything that goes on outside of yourself could well be an illusion. You don't really know. You can't really tell. But you act as if, kind of existential perspective, right? You act as if it's all there, right? And that you trust that there's going to be some kind of, you know, um, you know, that the world is going to continue when you close your eyes, but you don't really know. Okay. That was basically how I operated. Right? Interestingly enough, it wasn't until years later that Ken had what can only be described as a spiritual awakening. He was visiting California and was hard at work on a speech for an upcoming tech conference when... One day I just walked outside, probably just to get a lunch. I'd been working all morning. I've had a cup of coffee. I was getting hungry. I walk outside, open the door of the house. And on my right, there was, you know, it was a beautiful spring day and the plants um, suddenly got my attention. And I found myself locked in to this kind of, how should I put it? It's almost like there was a field of awareness around the bushes. Right now, as a diehard, you know, um, New Yorker who has no connection to the, the plant or natural kingdom, or even frankly, at the time, to my own body, uh, I had no idea what kind of plant it was. <laughs> I didn't know what I was. It was just like, whoa, this thing has a presence, and I just, I got locked in, and I found myself suddenly aware of the extraordinary, multifarious, beautiful nature of this living being that has its own intelligence and presence and uh, was you know, making connection, right? Not as if it was knocking on my door going, hey, I have something to tell you, but it was just like, whoa, there's something going on here. And hey, I'm here, yeah. I'm really here, like really, really here, like pay attention. And the detail of every leaf, every bud, flower was so extraordinary. And I found myself then just um, lost, moving from leaf to branch to bud to flower petal to branch as I walked down the path to the sidewalk and then took a right and then walked down the block to the corner. It took me an hour to get to the corner. I was just like completely (laughs) lost to this. And, um, 
I was aware at one point there was a guy walking a dog who walked past me. And I was thinking, oh my God, this has got to look so fucking crazy. I actually couldn't integrate that experience for a long time. Um, it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but when he did have his moment of opening to these more spiritual experiences, he didn't ignore it. It took a little while and a string of seeming coincidences. However, they ended up really adding up to a shift in his life path. You founded the Alchemist Kitchen, is that correct? Yeah, I'm a co-founder. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it's become a very cool, hip thing to do, like plant medicine, herbalism, all of this stuff. And so I'm wondering, you know, some of that is getting a little co-opted too. And there's a huge cool factor and almost like an Instagram celebrity factor. And so what, like, what is it about plant medicine that is so uh, seductive that it's become prominent in our culture in this way? And like, what's, what's this all about? And why, why did you feel, you know, compelled to, to become part of this? I gotta say, this takes me back to Allen Ginsberg again, actually. Um, one of the things that he was particularly aware of as not as a poet, as much as a, um, as, as a cultural revolutionary, right. Was the power of hip culture to convey memes that can transform the society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from that world going back 50, 60 years, um, he basically navigated the transition from the beats as a tiny little scene that had uh, that was considered incredibly fringe. That was right to ten years later, the Beatles, rena- you know, essentially naming themselves after the Beat Generation, right? Taking the Beat, you know, seeds and turning them into the most popular mainstream culture on the planet, which still resonates. Yeah. Years later. Um, there's, and they were the most hip thing, right? And the, the, the beats actually, I mean, the whole concept of hip has changed a lot, obviously, in the many years. <laughs> but, but essentially, the idea that something is trendy in and of itself is not a bad thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's my sense. You want the, the mainstream of American society to embrace plants rather than pharmaceuticals for health and wellness purposes. I had this experience of the presence, the sentience of plant life. Um, you know, that was sort of like an awakening moment. That really shifted things for me, right, personally. And I think a lot of people are having that, who are, who are working with plant medicine are having that kind of experience. They yeah. suddenly find that, you know, oh, the tree is talking to them, like really saying, oh, you silly monkeys. Um, you really don't understand what's going on here. Luckily, us trees are patient. And we're understanding and we love you and it's going to be okay. So just chill out, right? <laughs> At the same time that you're destroying our environment and um, it's really not good for us or anybody on the planet and we may not be around in 200 years. Okay. So but, listen up now. <laughs> so listen up. That'd be good. It'd be good if you listened up, but if you didn't, the universe still loves you. Okay. So, you know, people get that message a lot. Um, but, and I think that's inspired um, a whole new generation of herbal makers, to uh, to address the plants from that perspective, do I think in many ways remind me of poets? Actually, you feel mm-hmm. like poet type personalities, right? Mm-hmm. Who are less interested strictly in the commerce and more in the the mission that they feel that they're serving, and they're yeah, serving the, the plants. Yeah. You'll hear this again and again. They feel like they're serving the plants. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, the at the same time, you've got a growing mainstream awareness that the pharmaceutical industry is deeply destructive in many ways, right? Certainly, selective use of pharmaceuticals in certain allopathic medical situations are critical, right? But we are over-prescribing people up the wazoo. Well, I mean, what is it? I think like one in four Americans takes some kind of uh, antidepressant. <sighs> That's depressing in and of itself. No joke. But the whole idea behind herbalism and plant medicine is that they are modalities available to help us heal ourselves both physically and energetically. Which in a sense is another way of saying spiritually. Though through more natural means. So we asked Ken how cannabis fits into this whole schema. To connect this this topic back to weed, there's, you know, we've been looking at um, like medical marijuana and what's happening with that. And so, you know, how does, in your mind, how does that connect to plant medicine? Those two, weed as a plant medicine or medical marijuana, because they're both being used for health or healing in some way, but well, is there, I, yeah, what's yeah, the difference huge, there? There's a huge connection. I mean, the the whole, the, 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 the vast mainstream interest in plant medicine is happening essentially on the, it's on the frothy wave of the cannabis legalization movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the two things are so deeply intertwined. Uh, and just simply you know, people talking openly about cannabis as a medicine, right? That shift in the conversation was a big deal. I am thoroughly convinced that that way of existing on this planet as a human being is on its way out, that we're growing past that, right? That we're beginning to recognize that, in fact, we are all deeply interconnected in an intertwined consciousness, in an intertwinkling consciousness that we are all a manifestation of. And that as you develop certain kinds of spiritual practices, whether it's meditation or yoga or working with plant medicine or working with energy, or there's, there's a number of different ways that you can do it, often it involves the breath, that you can sensitize yourself. And as you become more and more sensitive, you become aware of uh of things that are happening in your in your consciousness and in your immediate environment that you have not been paying attention to. And that as you begin to pay attention to these things, you recognize that your heart is as important in who you are and what you do and how you react and how you express yourself as your mind. And that, in fact, the mind in our culture is wildly, wildly overvalued. And so are plants... Are plants really becoming kind of the bridge or the gateway to some of that, in your opinion? In my experience, plants were critical in helping to provide a, uh, a breadcrumb trail to that understanding, right? So how can we experience the cannabis plant on a spiritual level when so much of what's happening in our culture right now isn't centered around spirituality? It's all about what's cool, where the money's at, how to make this shit, you know, what the legislation's doing. 
Well, I think this is where the tribal stuff really starts to creep in because you have all these different interest groups, right? The purists who have been into weed culture for a long time, as well as tons of newcomers who are interested just because the culture is suddenly hip and mainstream. There's new products to buy. Uh, there's the regulators and the scientists, the growers, the doctors, the people who just want to get high. And you know, for instance, there are people making products who just don't want to be regulated by the FDA because that actually infringes on how and what they're doing. But there are also people who say, well, I don't want to take that because I don't know what's in it. And I would really appreciate it if the FDA could tell me. Then there's a bunch of people in the middle who would benefit from both things. So how do we all sort of come to the table here? Will the plants just sort of step in and say, hey, guys. Inevitably, because of the capitalist culture in which we live, as soon as you start to see a trend pick up like this, money shows up that doesn't really care sure. about the values and the ethics, right? All you can do is navigate that as best you can, right? We're all learning, right? And, the, and what you find is that sometimes the people who are showing up with that money are themselves going through a process of opening up and understanding and learning and changing their values. And they may be attracted at first by the dollar signs and then they have an experience that makes them go, oh, there's more to this than I thought, right? We're all, we're all navigating a complicated world with a lot of contradictory impulses, right? That, um, that makes it hard to ever, for anybody to ever be definitively perfect and right about anything that they do, <laughs> right? That's, that's the only way I know how to relate to this. You know what I'm saying? So that's a wrap for this week, folks. Make sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Multiverse, where we'll be getting the full download of my chat with poet and pot aficionado Mira Gonzalez. Until then, try not to die from spirituality, America. Nobody living can ever stop me. As I go walking that freedom highway, nobody living can ever make me turn back. Nobody living can ever stop me. As I go walking that freedom highway, nobody living can ever make me turn back. Make me turn back. Is this land made for you and me? Make me turn. This land is your land, this land is my land, from California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land is made for you and me. This episode of The Multiverse was written by Katie Wilson and Caitlin Scholl, with editing and sound design by Ian Carlson and Mixmaster by Chris Burns. 
Theme music is America by artist Bill Callahan. This Land is Your Land rendition is by Robert and Thief. Playlists for this podcast can be found at www.the-multiverse.com, where you can also find more information about us, collaborating artists, and new episodes of this podcast. And again, thanks for listening. walk the path of the episode in order to sorry this is ridiculous ridiculous